Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Connects podcast. Today, I'm here with Patrick Kelleher. We call him PK for short. He's a field applications engineer. Uh, he's visiting from Texas, and uh, we're glad to have him. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks, David. It's good to be here. Absolutely. So today, the big thing I want to talk about is your role here at RTI, field applications engineer. I kind of would like to understand what a day in the life of an FAE is. And for the sake of the podcast, maybe not a day, but 20 minutes in the life of an FAE. So I just want to kick things off by asking you, can you tell me what a typical day is like as an FAE? Uh, I'm sure all of your days are very different. That is a great question, Stephen. And yes, they absolutely are. The most Probably important part of all of our FAE's day revolves around our customers. I believe the FAE's probably interface with customers more than anybody else in the company. And so we start out typically and check the support queue and make sure we have no urgent support issues that have shown up overnight or any existing support issues are being handled. Even though FAEs don't typically solve these support issues, we make sure we coordinate with the support department who does an awesome job taking care of these things and make sure that things are moving along and escalate and push things if we need to, et cetera. But most of the time it's just monitor because our support department really takes care of that. So other than, of course, support, a large chunk of our days involve meetings, whether they are in-person meetings or remote meetings. We do a lot of those. So we'll typically have two or three phone calls or web meetings or in-person meetings in a day if we can get them. And those can be anywhere from a very short 15-minute touch base meeting to a full two hour, three hour or longer lunch and learn sort of meeting with with new or existing customers because there's a lot of information revolving around DDS and it can take some time to uncover exactly what the customers need to know. And then beyond just that, of course, we do trade shows where a lot of times we're off doing a trade show for several days in a row, meeting lots of other potential uh, customers, et cetera. And then another big thing we do is we take care of all of our evaluation customers where we do have many people to start using DDS. They want to evaluate it. And so we make sure that while you're doing the evaluation, you get all of that personal one-on-one -on -one assistance that you might need if you've got questions on the evaluation. That evaluation support, is that face-to-face -face or do they contact us via support portals or how does that normally work? We can do it face-to-face. -face. That works out ideally. Many times customers are too busy, and so they don't know when it's going to be, and so it's much more a ad hoc. They call us up or we do a quick web meeting. But, um, we, yeah, definitely the more successful evaluations we spend more time with. And if we, if the customers can dedicate just a few extra minutes for helping us help them, then the evaluations are much more successful. And then there's also meetings to where maybe they're not available face-to-face -face and you have to do that remotely. Yes. A lot of times our customers are distributed. And so you may have customers in four or five different locations, in which case the remote meetings are perfect. That way you can, you know, potentially be on site with two or three folks. But then I think the record meeting I had, there were 25 people dialed in remotely. And so you absolutely can share a lot of information that way. It's more challenging, but it's also you can get a lot of good information distributed in a pretty quick manner. Right. And all these put together, I could see how that certainly keeps you busy throughout the day. 
Yep, our days can be pretty long. It's a it's a fun uh, job to have if you want to work work from uh, early until late in the day potentially because our customers a lot of times have got deadlines and if you can't help a customer at seven o'clock on a Friday night, they may have some serious problems. So we are a lot of times helping customers late into the evening or in late into the week. So being an FAE, I know you said customers. Do you also work with potential customers, existing customers, or is it both? For me, everybody I talk to is a customer, whether they're a potential, whether they're a past customer, existing. I have no differentiation between new ones and possible ones and existing ones, whether you've been with us for 10 years or whether you're just brand new to us, you're still my potential customer, my customer. And so, yeah, we absolutely set up more time probably for future customers than we have for existing customers because as you know, RTI's got this really great infrastructure with services and support and all the other things that we have to take care of existing customers. So for new potential customers, a lot of that does fall to the field application engineers like myself. So I know you're located in Texas, but travel all over the South Central US uh, and even make your way down to Southern California every now and then. What are the big IOT buzzwords in your territory right now? Like what, what are people getting excited about and what are some of the hottest applications we're seeing in that region? So we are running into a whole lot of autonomous things, um, whether it's commercial things or aerospace and defense autonomous vehicles. That's a huge growth for us and for customers, it seems. So this goes to stuff like FACE. So FACE stands for uh, Future Airborne Capability Environment, which is a standard that has been developed by all of the services that fly things. And we've got a lot of activity around FACE. It has really seemed like it has picked up some momentum and all of the new programs are are calling out FACE as a requirement for Army aviation in particular, which we have a lot of in our particular territory. And along with FACE, a lot of times we have got a certification requirement. So to fly many of these airborne systems in United States airspace, they have to be DO-178C certified, in which case our certification product that we have is a perfect solution as well. So you combine FACE and the CERT product, you have a really great starting point for customers to get these very safety critical, life critical systems done. And then of course, we have a bunch of other Really cool customers in our territory, oil and gas being them in Texas is a huge business for us. And we've got lots of existing oil and gas customers and more showing up all the time. And energy is also very important for our particular territory. We've got a lot of, of energy companies that are looking to adopt and adopting DDS as well. I just want to backtrack just a little bit, go back to face. Face and DDS isn't anything new, but it is picking up traction right now. Why do you think that is? I think like any standard, it takes time for the industry to to uh, adopt it. Absolutely with airborne systems, they have very long lives. The B-52 has been flying since the 50s. <laughs> and so uh, absolutely, these guys do not adopt things quickly. But when they do adopt, they they really get on board. And so when FACE got to the 2.1 version of the specification, I think that helped a lot of people get there. Now that the 3.x version is coming out, that's really seems to be a driver for people. So we are sort of in that awkward stage of customers don't know if they need 2.x or 3.x. And the good news is we can help them with that 
that and get them the right decision so that they can meet the requirements for their end customer, the U.S. government, Army, et cetera. That's actually a great segue. And I love what this happens because the next question I was going to ask you is about customers and their needs. When you are talking to a customer and they do say, hey, I need this from you. What is that most of the time? What is it that they need? It's a great question, Stephen. We absolutely find with customers that they will typically ask for what they already know. And so I love the analogy that I always use is if your customer is looking to, to cut some wood, he will ask for a, a new improved handsaw. All he's ever had in his life has been a handsaw and he wants one that's got a metal handle, handle grip or something. And so we'll go in and say, Hey, what about this really cool 9.6 volt portable saw that you can do 15 times as much work with and still cut your wood. So you don't ask them, do you want a new improved handsaw? You say, what do you want to do? And they want to cut wood. And so when it comes to DDS, we'll just say, what do you want to do? And they typically want to share data in their distributed system. And so we can help them with that. And so it absolutely broadens their horizons. And then as the discussions move along, we can uncover more and more use cases they've never even thought about that DDS can solve a whole host of problems they haven't even considered yet. Yeah, you tell them, hey, use this handsaw. And by the way, this handsaw also does, uh, you know, 20 other different things. Exactly. Yeah, we've got so many Swiss Army knife tools in our toolkit and in DDS itself that it's amazing all of the value we can help customers uncover and help make their lives much easier as they do their next project. So you ask them, what is it you're trying to do? You kind of walk them through that, figure that out. There is one thing, though, you know, with a lot of these uh, old distributed systems that have been running for a long time, you know, DDS is best used when it's built as the foundation of a distributed systems architecture. What are the options for these customers with legacy systems that want to use DDS, but it's not possible to retrofit that into their system? I think the uh, number of customers who said, hey, PK, we've got a brand new system we've got no code for is basically zero. <laughs> so we absolutely, every customer we go into is brownfield where they have got existing technology. And if we say you have to rip and replace everything in your existing system and put DDS in its place, we would be thrown out the door pretty quickly. And so DDS is really ideally suited for going into these brownfield systems where we can hook up to your existing technology, your existing field buses, whatever whatever you may already have, and using something like our routing service or some other technologies, you can now make the system much more modern, much more data-centric, and still keep all your existing hardware. You don't want to replace tens of millions or billions of dollars of hardware on these systems. You just want to make the software much better and make your system a data-centric uh, way of operating. So maybe you, you mentioned routing service. Maybe they just need routing service. Can you talk about maybe a use case where somebody did need routing service and how that how they benefited from that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, routing service is a huge advantage in oil and gas customers because when you've got an oil rig that's got technology from the 1970s on it, and a lot of times this technology has got four or five different communications mechanisms inside of it, Customers have not even thought of the possibility of being able to see all of that data and use all of that data in real time without having to do massive changes. And so by using routing service and having adapters to talk to all of these different existing 
field buses that exist, we can drop that in, just put routing service on that new piece of hardware and software they're putting in the system. And now they have access to all of that data that they've never even seen before. And it's amazing to see guys working on these oil rigs for you know years, our eyes light up when they can say, oh, wow, this is what's going on with the system. Because up until now, all that data gets gathered and sent up to the cloud someplace and ignored for all of eternity. Now they can actually operate on that data and improve things dramatically in real time, which is a really cool thing for them to do. And routing service can enable that for, for that and a whole bunch of other technologies. But for us, we see it a lot in oil and gas being in Texas. Yeah, and I'd like to pick your brain on that just a little bit more since it's a huge industry in Texas and you have some uh, experience with that. Besides routing service, what other changes are the big ones in oil and gas that these people are seeing? Well, what oil and gas is going through a fairly fundamental shift because a lot of the technology that they have developed in their, into their platforms is now going obsolete. So they know they have to change how they do business and how they are operating with this, with a lot of these industrial control devices in their system. And so because of looking at that, they can look at changing everything around. And so one of the big things that a lot of the folks are doing are called rigs of the future. And a rig of the future says, instead of having a crew of around 40 people working on an oil rig, we can cut that down to about eight by automation. So we can automate this stuff, use robots and take all of the very manual activities on an oil rig and turn it into a very automated rig of the future thing. And DDS can do a whole lot of that. So we're very big into robotics. And so a lot of the, even the robotic stuff they're using, they can use DDS for that along with all the data. So it turns into a much safer and much more efficient way of exploring for oil, which is important still today. So I know you just touched a little bit on this, but I think we can get just a little bit deeper. From there, once their technical needs have been met, they can start seeing the benefits of DDS. What are those benefits? Well, it sort of turns into a two-phase benefit they get. Initially, they're going to see a whole lot of productivity gains. All of those users that are having to do a lot of writing of code that didn't really add any value to their system will now just be able to use DDS for all that. So they can concentrate on what their value is and let DDS do all the heavy lifting. And so they'll get productivity there. They'll get a lot of uh, performance gains because DDS can can make the performance better and make sure their their qualities of service are met without having to do any unnatural acts. And then all of the tools that we'll offer as well will help the customers analyze their system. So that's the first initial benefits they get. Second order is when they start using DDS, now they can actually start looking at what data centricity can bring to their system. So when you start looking at a system from a data-centric way instead of a message-centric way, all you have to concern yourself with is what does the data do, how does the data use, and how can I make my system better use the data? So I don't have to think about passaging messages here and there. I just say, I need this data at this sort of rate, and I can do this sort of algorithm or control with it. And so they can now literally change how they architect their system by going to this data-centric mindset, which is a huge advantage. And usually we see that in a sort of a second wave of productivity from a customer. So first wave, they start using the tools. The system's easier to do. The second wave, now they actually get far more performance out of the system and get even unheard of, unthought of benefits that they didn't even consider when they started this process. Some customers get it really quickly and some customers take a little bit of time, but there's almost always that light bulb moment where they, it just flips on and they say, oh, 
Well, all I have to do is say, I need this data at this data rate and it shows up. I don't have to know where it comes from or how it's generated or anything. I just get the data I need. And then there, it, you can see the light bulbs go off. And so it's pretty cool when you get to that stage with customers and some get it really quickly and some it takes a little longer, but they all get there eventually, which is nice. Right. When you say it like that, it sounds a lot more simple. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd like to end the conversation by asking you if you have a favorite use case that you've encountered, maybe one that potential customers alike could learn something from. That's a great thing. I've always thought about that when people ask about, you know, new exciting customers and one of my favorite ones we came up with was actually uh, one of the oldest industries in the world, which is the rail industry. The rail industry has been around for, for hundreds of years. And, you know, what can you use DDS for in a rail industry? Well, this customer came to us and they had a problem where when a locomotive would pull into a area with connectivity, the locomotive was supposed to have a parameter file downloaded to it, which could be very large, explaining what the route was. I don't know enough about locomotives and what it was. I just know it was a large file that was sitting in a database. And the locomotives would have a requirement to get this file downloaded and verified and make sure it was working in less than 15 minutes, which seems like a long time until you realize that you may have 7,000 locomotives pulling into a station all across the country or the world at the exact same instant. So there could be a problem with resources and communications. And so it was typically taking them sometimes as long as 45 minutes, which meant that those locomotives couldn't leave the station and they'd be 30 minutes late, which obviously no one wants. And so we, we looked at starting with DDS for this, replacing that particular part of the system, and they deployed and got a a initial field trial going in a remarkably short amount of time. I don't want to say how short it is, but it was astounding to me. And they deployed this thing, an initial field trial to, I think, 15,000 locomotives or some crazy amount. And it really reduced the amount of time it took to start as the locomotive got into the station. It could then download these parameter files in much quicker than their requirement was. And that was a challenging thing as well because they were dealing with their end customers, the rail operators, I guess they'd be considered, where they would have all sorts of different databases and formats of these files. And so they used our database integration service and they could then attach our DDS into these databases without a whole lot of changes and adapt to all these different operators of these locomotives. So it was a hugely successful project for, for them and for us. And after less than a year of dealing with them as a customer, we went back and saw them and they already deployed this on three or four different rail systems, which was pretty impressive to us in, in less than a year of total usage of DDS. Wow. Since then, have we had other locomotive companies evaluate DDS who we could share that story with? Um, we have got a bunch of activities on in that space. Um, locomotives are once again, another non fast moving, not fast changing uh, industry. But yeah, we're absolutely uh, talking to a bunch of those folks in, in similar sorts of applications. So you can see, you know, for this particular use case, it's not going to be a locomotive specific that could be any number of, of train or transportation. transportation specific ways of doing things. So yeah, it's an absolutely an interesting use case. And this particular customer is now going to start broadening its use of DDS in a whole bunch of different other locations in their back office, making much more of a data-centric system than they have today. 
Well, PK, I want to thank you again for coming onto the podcast and shedding some light on what it's like to be an FAE. And uh, hopefully we can get you back on the podcast soon. I'd love to be back. Thanks a bunch, Stephen. Right, thanks, PK.